for Geek Gamer Weekly. Center of the most calculating intelligence on Earth. The Uber Podcast, just for geeks and gamers. We have news for the beautiful people. There's a lot more of us in our view. With your hosts, Joseph Falby. Men wanted to be like him. Women wanted to be with him. John Kessler. He will be talked about in the same way that Rockefeller and Carnegie and, and Ford are talked about. And Chase Nunes. For your information, butthead, he's headed for the video championships in Los Angeles. Now, live from Earth. Everything that happens now is happening now. What happened then? When? Just now. It's Geek Gamer Weekly. This is Geek Gamer Weekly, episode 216, recorded on Sunday, September 30th, 2012. What is BlackBerry 10? Hey everybody, welcome again to another edition of Geek Gamer Weekly. This is the Uber podcast for geeks and gamers, where we chat about and uh, discuss in a public slash private interweb chat webcast forum, if you will, of the top geek and gaming news of the world. As Joseph Falby shakes his head, as I could see him out of the corner of my eye. My name is Chase Nunes. I help orchestrate this chaotic mess of stories and uh, innuendo, if you will. And joining us, as as I just mentioned, the before mentioned, Joseph Falby, Mr. Joe from the Oregon Bureau of Technology, Gaming Research, and Development. Hi, Joe. Hi. I think that actually should have been aforementioned. Aforementioned. Yes. <laughs> not, not before mentioned. Not before mentioned. Right. I'm going to go find my grammar Nazi hat real quick. Yeah, please it's over there do. Somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you are beard and hat guy, so you do uh, need yeah, the grammar yeah. hat. Uh, thanks for feeding that one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like how you, uh, I don't know if you noticed, Joe, uh, but you do have your, your awesome uh, box uh, storage uh, unit to your bottom left there in the shot. Uh, I don't know if you knew that, um, but uh, yeah, yeah, that thing right there. That Yeah, yeah. The, the trash can? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so classy, man. <laughs> or I'll move it then. No, no, that's fine. I mean, we can see what you purchased. What'd you buy? No, nothing. It was just a cardboard. Um, oh. uh, it was a UPS ship or FedEx shipping box. Oh, okay, very good. Yeah. Joining us this week, uh, Mr. John Kessler is not here because he is ill. Um, so best wishes to Mr. Kessler because he says so much and provides so much awesome input for this show. Is he yeah. in the chat room? I don't uh, think so. I don't uh, think he is. Good. So we can talk about him. Um, so joining us this week, we're replacing one John with another. Here he is, folks. Mr. John Bob, Mr. Suncast on GFQ Network hey, and other other places. Good, man. Good. How are you feeling? How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm less red than last time. Yes, that's true. You're starting to uh, <laughs> calm down. I was waiting for you to say just ducky, but I guess you're not ducky. <laughs> I forgot. I, I, don't, I don't think he goes there. He doesn't go there? He doesn't go for the ducks? No, I don't think so. Oh, very good. <laughs> when uh when john is not uh you know moonlighting on our show he's over on his website amadeus.com that's a-m-a-d-a-i-s and also on tech news weekly with uh mr andrew zirian on gfq network as well so do you do any other shows john do you do anything else that i don't know about uh that's pretty much it 
Okay, very good. Well, that's a great show. Awesome, man. Great introduction. You got them all. I got them all <laughs> done. So we got a great show for you guys. As you guys probably been realizing, for the last couple of weeks now, we have been chatting about Apple. We've been talking about iOS. We've been talking about maps. We've been talking about the hardware. And just when we thought that we were all done and we were ready to move on, this story fell on our lap to talk about this week. No, no, it fell on your lap. No, it fell on John's <laughs> lap. It fell on Joe's lap. It, well, actually, it fell on somebody's lap. Maybe it fell on Tim Cook's lap. Tim Cook is the CEO of Apple, and a lot of people lately have been complaining about iOS maps. So much, in fact, that it prompted Mr. Tim Cook to make an announcement, if you will, about maps and how Apple will be backtracking on the, quote, most powerful map app claim that they made. And now they're pulling back from that. And Cook said on Friday that Apple was, quote, extremely sorry. That's for all the Canadian people out there. Extremely sorry. Wait, for way the- to cover your speech impediment there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the frustration felt by customers, and vowed to improve the program. The company has also removed a superlative from the app description, replaced it with the last sentence of, all in a beautiful vector-based interface that scales and zooms with ease. So, Joe, we're going to go with you first and get your opinions. Obviously, we thought the maps issue was pretty much dead. I mean, you said it yourself. They're improving. They're, they're getting better. Why do you think Tim had to come out and make this announcement? Well, he had to make it because a lot of places weren't dropping the story. They kept saying, that, repeating the same thing over and over again. Like we were. Yeah, like we still are, actually, I should point out. Um, uh, but, it's no, I, I mean, yeah, they, that, uh, he, he, they did a, a press release where basically he said, um, or he made an announcement where he said that, yeah, he was extremely sorry for the frustration people were having and that they are working to improve it. And, and it's absolutely true. I've noticed map updates even since our last show uh, in my area. And... Um, and yeah, it's uh, you know the the probably the best thing he did or one of the the best things he did about this is he posted a link to um, a link to other mapping options in the in the store. So now if you go to the Apple Store, the the App Store, you actually find a category that's all different mapping systems. And yeah, it ranges from everything from uh, Waze, which we did we which I did a um, a pick of the week on a while ago now, to uh, to Google or not Google but uh, Microsoft's Bing Maps. Um, and everything in between, uh, including um, some of the commercial navigation suites, uh, Garmin, um, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, a really good list of different mapping choices. And at the same time said, you know, we're working on, on what we have and it will get better. And I, and I think that's, that's, that's true. It's just going to take some time. So It is quite unusual, though, when you have the CEO of Apple, after they've made all these huge claims that this – app is better you know they made those claims during their big announcement and then they pushed it out to huge fanfare john obviously you know you're in the i want to say you're in the blackberry camp but i I don't think that's fair but (laughs) but there were a bunch of blackberry announcements last week there were i don't have one blackberry 10 story in the room i don't know What do you think? Blackberry hater. I am not a Blackberry Blackberry hater. I am good riddance. No, it's Uh, it's not Chase that hates Blackberry. It's the industry. That's all right. 
before we start, <laughs> well, Len- it's recovered quite a bit of that. John, what do you think? Apple CEO Tim Cook coming out and saying, "Hey, don't you, don't use our apps." Or I'm sorry, don't use our maps. There's MapQuest. There's Bing. You can even use Google and bookmark the website. What do you think their strategy here is in doing this? This is quite an improvement from Steve Jobs's uh, "You're holding it wrong" moment. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> You're using it wrong. It- <laughs> I mean, if you look at it, the way that Steve Jobs would have handled something like this versus Tim Cook. I mean, Steve Jobs, of course, the whole fame is you're holding it the wrong moment, whereas Tim Cook is kind of a little bit more uh, sorry and apologetic about this whole thing, which I think is kind of nice in a way. It doesn't seem mean or anything like that. It's honest, you know, I, and I can't fault them for that. At least they're being honest and they say, well, we do have some other programs out there that do – similar to what we do. The fact is, uh, I, they're, they're admitting they kind of screwed up, and I think everybody knows that. They went from this awesome application provided by Google Maps that had uh, awesome maps in it. It had uh, walking directions, all sorts of public transit directions as well, to something that was basically broken in comparison. Well, walking directions, oh. by the way, is still there. People uh, don't realize that it's under – you have to hit it's – a, it's a couple of a two-step process. You have to hit the directions, and I think there's a little pedestrian that you have to touch. So, And Joe can probably confirm Dude. that. But they still Thank are you. there. They're still there. I know the transit, st- <laughs> I know the transit stuff's gone. Now, interestingly, last night I had a conversation with a good friend of mine, and he had an iPhone 4S, and he had not updated to iOS 6. And this proceeded – to go into a story about how this is a new phone, and he, I'm not going to talk about that backstory, but I said, so just, do you know about iOS 6? And he goes, yeah, should I update? And I told him, well, there's some positives and negatives to updating. If you do decide to update to iOS 6, you're going to lose your built-in Google Maps that you like so much. And he goes, really? Well, what about, what, what kind of map solution do I get in place of it? And I go, well, you get Apple's new map solution. And I showed him not errored screenshots, but um, the, uh, you know, basically, you know, just apples to apples comparison. Here's what Google Maps looks like. Here's what Apple's Maps look like. And, you know, right now the Apple's Maps are lacking certain details and certain cool features like, you know, building outlines and things like that. But, uh, Joe, do you want to add anything to this story? I don't want to spend 25, 30 minutes on the on the map story from Apple, but obviously Tim Cook is trying to deflect the attention away. So on Monday, we can move on. What is interesting, well, though, here is this was done on a Friday, and typically when these kind of stories are happen and released on a Friday, they hope that by Monday comes around, it's already dead. So what do you think? Well, you know, if you actually go and read um, Tim Cook's letter, and um, I'm sure we'll have the link to it somewhere, right, Chase? We have all of our show note links. No, 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 no. The actual letter, not stories about the letter. So we get a first-level source instead of a editorialized source, if well, that there, makes sense. There's a link within the link. How about that? All right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can get there eventually. It just takes seven clicks on Wikipedia. Um, 
so he actually he actually says one of the things he says in here is we launched maps initially with the first version of iOS. As time progressed, we wanted to provide our customers with even better maps, including features such as turn-by-turn directions, voice integration, flyover, and vector-based maps. In order to do this, we had to create a new version of maps from the ground up. And I think that's where what it really comes down to is the the the, the features that they wanted to add and that belong in in this mapping software, and it's what's there. Um, were things that Google was not willing to put into the platform, and um, and that was why they had to do this. And it's you know it, it is a from the ground up new implementation, and so it's going to take a while to catch up. But the features that they've added and the things that they've added, the capability they've added to the platform, allows for a much much more capable, much more powerful mapping solution than what was available with Google Maps on iOS. Right. So it's in the short term, yes, it's a problem. But in the long term, it's a much, much needed step, and it will result in a much better platform and a much better mapping system on the iPhone than we've ever had. As they say in the industry, time will only tell. And hopefully, by then, we'll have a default, or I'm sorry, a native Google Maps app for the iOS platform, and then we can really do some straight straight comparisons. Yeah, it won't have turn-by-turn direction. It probably won't have voice-based navigation. It probably won't have a we bunch don't of other know. features. We don't know. I, I, I don't want to squash anything until we actually see it. It probably won't have any Probably won't. It probably won't, but we don't know yet. Just saying. We don't know. Now, if you're running iOS on an iPhone 4 or 4S, you might want to take a look at your battery life. An article from the MacObserver.com is showing right now that users are reporting excessive battery drain. Now, a lot of users are going to the Apple support boards and complaining about it. One user said, quote, my 4S, used my 4S at the same time as every other workday, usually come home with about a 60%. Now I came home today with 17%. Another user said, uh, thinking of switching back to 5.1.1 now, 9 a.m. to 10.30 a.m., the battery drain is 100% to 52%. Something is very wrong. Now, Joe, you're currently running iOS 6 on a 4S. And have been for a while. And you've been running the beta builds, and you're now running the release. Yep. Any issues that you've noticed with battery life? I've actually noticed the other way. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, I actually saw better. I've seen better battery life with iOS 6 than I saw with 5. So... Now, I'm, did you I have a, no idea. did you do did you do a clean wipe when you moved up, or did you nope. do an upgrade restore? I did a, I did a uh, just a regular update. Okay. Um, to both when I updated to the to the beta the pre release betas and to the final version from the beta, I did just a straight update. I did not do a full restore. John, what is your current phone of choice right now? Uh, you don't want to know. Yeah, I do. Is it a BlackBerry? <laughs> it's an old freaking. I knew it. Why did I know? <laughs> From is that, 2007. Is that, is that running uh, 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 edge <laughs> speeds, like 2G? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It is. Why Why? Why aren't you moving up to a new phone right now? There's so many great choices, Android oh, yeah, and I'm, iOS. I'm not, I'm not saying there aren't great choices. I just don't have the money to spend for them. Well, you can get an iPhone 4S for free, I think. That's right. Or no, 99 bucks. Oh, uh, are you four, sure? I think it's 4 is free and $99 for the 4S. I think. Yeah, but see, I also have T-Mobile, so... So you can go get one used for probably cheap and go get a T-Mobile SIM. I mean, that's what it comes down to me, is that I also like T-Mobile. T-Mobile wants you to do that. They actually... They had this huge campaign not too long ago where they said, hey, bring your iPhone over. 
You can ha- you can bring an unlocked iPhone over to T-Mobile. But I want no the problem. five. Seriously, if I'm going to upgrade my phone, I want something that's going to have LTE speeds on it because I'm sick and tired of Edge. Well, even 3G speeds would be an improvement for you, man. Yeah, true. But <laughs> when I go to the store and I try out 4G. 4G LTE or 4G AT&T? So, uh, well, that <laughs> depends on what area you're in. That's true. true. So is, is LTE, <laughs> LTE then would be a major, I mean, obviously it's not because you haven't bought a phone, but um, it would be something you're looking for in a phone. It would be a major selling factor for me because for me it makes no difference. LTE oh, yeah, has I mean, no relevance on if I which phone I pick because I'm in the majority of the U.S. and that I have no LTE coverage out here. See, I want people to go ahead and pick up the iPhone 5 as a 4S user. So this way it, it frees up the bandwidth on the 3G or 4G if you're AT&T and their weird marketing moniker. It gives me more bandwidth to you. <laughs> <laughs> now, granted, though, some people are saying that, you know, obviously... Apps are snappier, faster because of the A6 processor. So that is a big consideration. I was able to actually feel and hold an iPhone 5 for the first time on Thursday. And I was really surprised on how light it feels. Well, doesn't it make sense if you don't have an iPhone now to go ahead and get an iPhone 5? I guess if you're uh, you're in that update or that... If, you, if, if that's what you're looking yeah. for is an iPhone... And you haven't had one before. It's so the logical well, choice. Is it, the iPhone it comes 5. down. I mean, it comes down to price and how much what you're willing to spend on it. Because you know, the four right now is free. Well, of course, but the four S is a hundred bucks. That aside, and the five comes at at two hundred bucks and up. Yeah, uh, subsidized, of course. The problem here is a lot of people are starting to become invested in certain ecosystems. Either you're invested yeah. in Android or you're invested in iOS. And if you're an iOS user and you've purchased a lot of applications, you're thinking to yourself, boy, do I reinvest and move over to a whole other platform? Now, Joe, you've done this a lot. You've used Palm. You used Android. You're back to iOS again. Palm, Android, Windows Phone 7, N7.5. Yeah. How do you do with that? Do you just stick with free apps or is that the best way of doing it? Um, actually, when I was on Android, it's mostly free apps. I think I bought maybe three apps while I was on the Android platform. But remember, I was only on these platforms for Android. I was on for about six months. Windows Phone, I was on for about nine months. And Palm, I was on for about five months. Right. And um, so I didn't use them for years and years and years. Now, with iPhone, I've used it for several years. I started out with a 3GS, and now I have a 4S. Um, so I have a lot. And also, of course, my iPad. Um, I have a lot of iPhone apps um, or iOS apps, just a ridiculous number. I'm trying to bring it up, but it's anyway. Um, But uh, on the other platforms at this point, I've just surrendered them. I don't really care. I mean, I I figure the the money I put into those apps is something I'm probably not going to get back, but some of them I will. Like uh, my touchpad has Android on it now, so I, I, the apps that I purchased when I had an, an Android phone carry over to the touchpad, which is kind of nice. Yeah, that's true. Um, and uh, with Windows Phone 7 and Windows Phone 8 being sort of combined, um, I'm wondering what's going to happen with those apps because the apps on Windows Phone may come over. Now, of course, Palm is basically a dead platform, uh, so any apps I purchase there, and I, again, I only purchased a few, um, I'm probably it's never even worse than back. BlackBerry. Well, yeah, <laughs> that is true. In terms of its availability, it's worse than BlackBerry. But in terms of its usability and functionality, it is, I believe, 
I, I think uh, still to this day, I think it, it was one of the, if not the best phone OSs you could have. Yeah. So if they'd done a phone with a form factor like the iPhone uh, it, with Palm OS on it, I would have been super happy. Um, I didn't like the the physical keyboard. I really like a software keyboard. And, and uh, I, I would probably still use that phone. I would be one of those those Palm people who will not give up and keeps using that phone if they had that kind of form factor. So. <sighs> Too bad about Palm, though, right? I mean, well, they you were, know, we don't have the story for it here, but uh, yeah. HP did just release Open Open WebOS, the they first did. release. So yeah. uh, late last yeah, week, nothing's ever going to come of that. Just like them and BlackBerry, right? Well, the, the <laughs> well, the funny thing about the funny thing about Open WebOS is uh, they released it, but it will not run on the touchpad. Um, it will run on other platforms, but not the touchpad. Now, before I move on to our next scripted rundown story, I'm going to ask you guys this, and maybe, John, you're more qualified to answer than Joe, or Joe, you can jump in too, obviously. I didn't put any stories in for BlackBerry 10. There were a lot of announcements this past week for BlackBerry 10. Is it because now that I'm so programmed in my head that BlackBerry is dead to me, that now I'm becoming biased and not having those stories in the rundown. Or is it too late for BlackBerry and I've already been programmed to know, well, I shouldn't cover them because they're going to be dead in six months. That's just opinion, of course. But why do you think that is? Now, John, I, didn't, I wasn't able to catch Tech News Weekly on Friday. But did you talk about, did you talk about uh, BlackBerry? I was at the show. Okay. Half the show is BlackBerry. Now, was that because of you, or was uh, that beca- probably yes? Because you're, I mean, you're- it, it was a major theme in the news over in the entire week. It was something that was happening, and there was a lot of people that because it's it's two sided. On one side, you do have legitimate coverage of it, but on the other side, you also have mockery of BlackBerry still being in the news for some reason, right? Well, you know, you got these major outlets, you know, Engadget and Verge giving. Blackberry. I was play. surprised. I was surprised by the amount of actual legitimate coverage that uh, <laughs> BlackBerry Jam got because t- technically this BlackBerry Jam is really the BlackBerry Developer Conference renamed and it's oriented for developers. So ne- it isn't necessarily something that's meant to energize consumers and get them interested in BlackBerry. Do you think it's because all these major companies that are still heavily invested in the BlackBerry platform? that they don't want to see BlackBerry fail because there's there's so many hooks into it? I don't know. I think a lot of the corporations that are hooked onto BlackBerry are moving away from it. Right. Um, just because yeah. of the the added maintenance and the added cost of, of having to control and, and handle a BlackBerry server, an enterprise server. Um, so I, like I said, where, where I work, we are moving away from it actively, and we're hoping, at least I think, we're hoping to get rid of our BlackBerry enterprise server any day now. Yeah. Um, that said, I was looking back through the coverage, and I did remember one thing from that coverage, and that was uh, a, a handset they had that I actually thought looked pretty interesting. And I'm going to post a link to it in the IRC. Sure, I'll pull it up. Um, but uh, it was actually it's actually a handset that I think looks pretty good. Um, it's an industrial looking handset, but it's a fairly slim bezel. Looks like the screen's recessed, so it's protected. Um, and I mean, it's running BlackBerry 10, but we'll not try to hold that against it. I think in, as an industrial design, it's a it's a good looking phone. This looks it looks like a phone in a case, but it's not. That's the it, phone. That's the phone. Yeah. And and like I said, I, I actually think it's an, an attractive style and I wouldn't mind seeing and, and even the UI on it doesn't look that bad. 
Um, I wouldn't mind seeing that sort of style come to to other devices and other platforms. And you know, maybe maybe we are writing off BlackBerry because it's a, a nearly dead platform. But I, I will say this: as good as that looks, I'm not going to buy one of those. I'm going to buy an iPhone five. <laughs> I would probably buy one used on eBay for a hundred bucks just to mess yeah, around I would, with it. If, if one was available cheap, I, I, and you could swap a SIM card into it, if it used micro SIMs or, or nano SIMs, right. you swap a SIM card into it easily. Then, yeah, I, I could see it being a viable thing to play with, um, as long as they've actually made BlackBerry separate. Because for a while there, you had to run a desktop package in order to get some of the BlackBerry features. That's right. And um, as long as they've made it so that the phone can be fully inclusive on its own and connect directly to the Internet, you don't have to go through BlackBerry servers themselves to do things. Uh, I could see using it as a consumer. But if it's still going to be to the point where it relies on this this relatively small cluster of servers that is all controlled by BlackBerry or mm-hmm. RIM, um, I don't think they have a much of a future outside of corporations. And they don't have a future inside corporations as soon as they... They, move, they migrate all their customers over to iPhones, Android, and, and uh, Windows Phone. I think we all agree that this is BlackBerry's last huge, big attempt and push to save itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting because I was speaking with a buddy of mine who is a, a BlackBerry developer, and he kind of has the same conclusion as I do, whereas they kind of have this chance – but it's kind of a split personality where a lot of people like us, we talk about this from a U.S. perspective. And what a lot of people don't necessarily realize is just how big BlackBerry is in lots of parts of the other countries that are out there overseas. They're actually very big out there compared to uh, how they're perceived here in the United States. So on one hand, um, they are in all accounts dead here in the United States, but in other countries and especially developing countries – they are still very popular. We will see. I know I know it's popular in other parts of the world. I know that it's on life support here in the States, as Joe explained and I've explained. I mean, my company is moving away from BlackBerry, and we're moving to iOS. We all got four S's. They probably got a really good deal because of the iPhone 5 around the corner. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, well, I'll tell you, the, the best chance that BlackBerry has at a comeback yeah. and the most success that I think would be realistic for them at this point would be the kind of success that we saw with the reemergence of Windows Phone when they first yeah, debuted with Windows Phone 7. Yeah. I think that's the most success that we could realistically expect from BlackBerry's comeback. Which gives me a good segue topic to talk about Windows 8. Now, obviously, we know that Windows Phone 8 is unifying all these operating systems to one big standard that Microsoft is wanting to create. Now, part of this on Windows 8 is with their game structure, they want to have games certified, if you will, to be in the <laughs> Windows App Store. So when people go and get a game, they can say, oh, yes, this, this game is certified to work with Windows 8. Now, one person that has been really, really vocal against this is our good friend that we don't know, but we play his game tremendously a lot. <laughs> And that name is Marcus Burson, the leaded, the, the former lead developer of the game Minecraft. Now, he recently attacked Microsoft's Windows 8 plan, saying, quote, I got an email from Microsoft wanting to help certify Minecraft for Windows 8. I told them to stop trying to ruin the PC as an open platform. <laughs> Now, Joe and I talked about this on Minecraft Me, but I felt it was really important for us to talk about it on this show this week. 
And Joe, maybe you can go ahead and repeat a little bit about maybe Marcus's thinking and feeling here on being so against the certification progress, uh, pr- process that Microsoft wants all these developers to go through. Yeah, well, the, there's actually a, a bit more even information than than what we had last week. That uh, stuff that I found out over the weekend and and uh, on Friday is um, so Microsoft is pushing for all apps to be signed, and the the issue with this is in order to run on the platform, you don't have to have a signed app, but in order to run on the platform without having any security alerts or anything like that, you have to get your your program signed. Now you're actual executable. Um, now. The big comparison people are making is, well, Snow Leopard's doing this, and you have to have a signed app with Gatekeeper in order to do the the same sort of thing. Oh, you can bypass either one; that's fine. But you know, it still still is an alert. Well, on on Mac OS, Java or Minecraft is distributed as a jar file, not as an executable, and on Windows, it's distributed as an executable. So on Mac OS, you're running Java natively in the OS, which means that's already been signed for. You don't have to. They don't have to worry about separately signing this. And in Windows, they can't directly run a jar file. It's a lot harder to directly run a jar file like that. So they have a a, a distributed exe, and that actually has to be. Um, yeah, sorry, Mountain Lion, not Snow Leopard. Uh, that actually has to be uh, um, has to be signed, or, or Microsoft would like for all those apps to be signed. Now that there's, I, I've come to find out there's a couple of reasons for this. One of them is unsigned apps will run on Windows 8 standard release. They'll run no problem, no issues at all. Apps that are not signed and apps that were not distributed via via Microsoft Store will not run on Windows 8 RT. Now remember, Microsoft is releasing multiple versions of Windows 8. They're releasing Windows 8 as the full desktop-ready version for most desktops, and then they're also releasing RT, which is designed to run on um, ARM processors. So Windows 8 RT will not run unsigned apps. Period. And the concern that that Notch has, and that uh, Gabe Newell at, at Steam is all or at Valve has also said the same thing. The concern they have about it is Microsoft. This may be the first step for Microsoft closing the platform down and saying, "Okay, now you can only distribute apps via um, via our store. You can't distribute them outside of that." And it was the same sort of concern that people had about Mac OS with the introduction of the App Store on Mac OS, and it's still valid to some degree. We don't know if it's ever going to happen. It probably won't ever happen, but that's the that's the frightening thing, is that it could happen. Um, so it, it's just kind of interesting. We'll we'll see what ends up rolling around here. I know he's never going to sign it. Um, you know, he's never going to voluntarily sign this, but he may not be given a choice to be on Windows at some point in the future. You know, in five years, uh, Mojang may have to be willing to sign their app in order to be distributed on Windows. We'll just have to wait and see. The other concern is. Right now, getting your app signed is free on any platform, Windows or Mac. However, we don't know if going forward they're going to change that. They're going to introduce a cost to signing apps. Uh, and one of the concerns there is if they introduce a cost to signing app, they may say, okay, well, we'll sign your app for, for only you know a percentage of whatever your sales are on the platform. Or if you make your app an our platform exclusive, now we will do it for free, and you don't have to worry about giving us any money. Uh. And... Um, you know, I mean, it, it just opens up a lot of manipulation, a lot of capability, a lot of, mm-hmm. of choices in terms of, of really screwing with them. Now, something we don't have in here is um, someone wrote an open letter to to Marcus uh, call, saying, don't be a hypocrite. Well, we actually that's actually deeper in the article that talks oh, okay. about There's that. There's a link in there? Okay. Yeah. And, um, go ahead. But, 
yeah, it, it basically an open letter saying don't be a hypocrite, and that look, you're releasing your open platform game on both palm, uh, both handheld devices in the pocket edition, which is a, are both both of them are closed platform, or all of them are closed platforms, and you're releasing it on uh, on Xbox, which is a notorious closed platform. Uh, I mean, it's it's one of the worst in terms of of being a closed platform for uh, for the consoles. Um, so you know, it's the the point is, you know, they're they're trying to get not or this guy's trying to tell Notch not to be a hypocrite about this, and uh, it's hard because what people don't realize, even though it's associated with Mojang and associated with Notch, they're not the developers of the Pocket Edition or the Xbox version. Well, he did respond. I mean, he he did say in a tweet that quote nobody owns the Xbox. Or, I'm sorry, Microsoft owns the Xbox. Apple owns the iOS. The charm of the PC is that nobody owns it. Microsoft is free to do whatever they want with their iOS. With their iOS, I won't support all of what they do, however. And I yeah. think that I mean that's a good you know counter counterpoint. But I mean maybe you know we're we're talking about the number the the Blackberry's days are numbered. Maybe we should be talking about Windows days are numbered. We're looking at <laughs> Windows eight as being a terrible terrible platform. I mean a lot of people are saying they're never ever going to move to it. Um, it's make, taking a step towards being a more closed platform. Um, and at the same time, uh, companies like Valve and uh, and a few other studios are saying, "Hey, we're going to start supporting Linux on our titles." Yeah, and maybe we should instead of saying, "Look, BlackBerry's going to die," we should say, "Hey, look, Windows, as frightening and weird as it sounds, could be it could be could this be the beginning of the end for the entire Windows platform?" Right. I mean, well, it's weird. Glad I'm not Paul Thorat. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I mean, it's it, but it's a legitimate a legitimate thought is. Oh, of course. As as they, you know, as as uh, you know, the the I I uh, I have to use it because it's such a cool, great quote. Um, you know, as the they they grip tighter, the platform's going to slip through their fingers. Um, it's a Star Wars reference for anyone who. Yeah. Can get it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, it's it's a, it's but it's an interesting thought, especially with Valve having announced both apps in their in the in Steam. And Steam coming to, to Linux and actually now launching, having an official release date for that uh, on Linux, I think is is really really cool. And if go, they go too far, it's it's what's going to end up happening. Ghost Shadow in our in our live chat actually brings up brings up an incredible great point. And he says one of the big issues with some signed apps, if you modify them, they'll break. I just wonder how that will work with some games. If you add mods and whatnot, is that just going to break those games within Windows eight? And that's a great point. With Microsoft wanting to close off the operating system with having these certified apps, if you have an unsigned app and now I'm okay with it not running on Windows RT because that's meant for for tablets and we've all gotten used to being able to not install you know side loaded apps especially on iOS. I mean because that's not going to happen unless you're jailbroken. Um, well, but what if signing is their first step? So Microsoft, right. Microsoft, and I, I read a great story about this, and I, unfortunately I haven't been able to find it, but it, it was a guy discussing um, Microsoft realizing belatedly that because they have this wide open platform, they weren't able to push people to their phone, and their phone as a result is struggling, the, the phone platform, and that they may have realized the best way to get traffic to their phone or devices to their phone is to force the same user interface on other devices, Metro, right, and make it so that anything written or anything that, that was designed for the desktop, which a lot of places are going to have to adopt, um, is able to be easily moved back to their other devices, tablets and phones, because the UI is the same. And if they do it right, 
the the app when it's signed you know when it's designed the right way will be if the OS underlings is is close enough the underlying part of the OS yeah. they'll be able to easily port it from a desktop OS to or desktop platform to a, a mobile platform so that's the whole thing I have a problem with though is the fact that they're trying to do this one size fits all thing and yes uh, oh yeah no I, I, think, I agree I don't think I, Windows eight is one of those things that can fit all things something like that. No, I, I don't. And, and it's it, confusing it as heck. That's what Microsoft's doing. That's what they're trying to do. Because yeah. that's the only way they can succeed. And, and it doesn't work. It just, just, just with the sheer amount of devices and computing uh, options that you need to have out there, one size just does not fit all. What they're basically doing is a mobile operating system uh, and bring that to the desktop experience. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, just doesn't work. No, I, I, I agree. I I think we've all beat on Windows 8 and its <laughs> problems uh, to no end. Yeah. Um, but to touch on uh, what you're talking about with this whole App Store stuff, it, uh, it's interesting because this also, they talk about um, the gaming rating system, uh, PEGI. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, but um, the fact is that they're actually saying that games that, don't, that are rated uh, PEGI 18, which are only suitable for adults over the age of 18, wouldn't even qualify for this new app store that they're having. Peggy so, is, a, I think, a European center. Yeah. I don't think it's used here in the okay. States. But. but still, the fact that they're talking about having to establish a separate desktop app store with a different set of rules focused on security and compatibility requirements just kind of isn't is it, really the direction is that this, I think any, anybody should go. Why do they have to have uh, separate app stores depending on what it is that you want to put in the app store. Well, is this Microsoft trying to do what Apple has perfected so well, and that's the app store, and Microsoft just being jealous of the fact, and they're like, okay, we need to have a curated place for people to buy or and pick up applications, and this is the way that they're trying to do it, is by honestly copying how Apple is doing it. You, you don't think Microsoft would copy something Apple was doing, do you? Oh, really. yeah. Oh, come on. <laughs> Of sure, they, I mean they have huge, huge envy of this right now. Well, a lot of this too depends on the fact that they want a new revenue stream. That's true. Yeah, I mean they're talking true. about taking a thirty percent cut of sales made through the marketplace that they're establishing, yeah. and that's a pretty big price, right? And the big danger here, as we wrap up this topic is when you have independent developers who do not want to be forced to buy into the certification process and they want to go it alone, will it end up killing them because they're not a part of that store because of the fact that Ma and Pa, who have Windows 8 on their systems, because in a month or two, that's all they're going to be able to purchase is a computer with Windows 8, and they want applications for their computer, if they tell little Jimmy... Uh, no, I'm sorry, this game is not in the App Store. We're, I don't want to put it on the system. It's, I don't think it's, it's going to be safe to do that. You, well, know, and, you could run and into another, some problems. I mean, the other thing that comes up, and this is true, I would argue this is true on, on Mac OS as well, and, and iOS for that matter, is as you limit down the options so you can't sideload apps into it, something like Steam becomes a serious, serious threat. And at one point, does Microsoft say, okay, that's it, Valve? You, we will not allow Steam to run on the next version of Windows. Oh man, let's hope not. Let's please <laughs> let's let's hope that some of these software companies can start to play nicely and maybe they embrace have such a great history of playing well together. Of course, right. 
But we will see what happens. We're just lowly consumers. We're going to be caught in the middle. It doesn't yes. matter. Now we're screwed. <laughs> yeah. By the way, folks, you're screwed. Yeah. Um, let's well, move. Yeah. Let's move on. Step Yeah. Let's move on from a huge audience to a very small niche audience, and that is 3D television or 3D TV. Right now, the audience is so small of those who are actually watching 3D 3D TV. It's not even being measured. Uh, because they don't hit the minimum threshold to be measured by the Nielsen rating systems. Um, obviously, ESPN has thrown loads of money into this technology, and they cannot figure out why. Why all the geek heads are not embracing 3D television? Is really? it? Be- yeah. <laughs> Come on. Was that, was that a sarcastic? I, really? I the marketing people can't figure out why it's not being embraced. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm in agreement with that. But what do you guys think it is? I mean, we're, we're all geek hounds here, and I don't have a 3D TV. Joe, I know you don't have a 3D TV. A 3D TV. John, do you? Nope. Why? Why is it? Why is it, John, that you don't have a 3D TV? Is it, is it the same reason because you have a BlackBerry because you can't afford one? Or let's say you could afford one. Would you buy one? Uh, well, I mean, I think there are TVs out there that come with 3D, 3D as an option on it. And, and, and I think that's kind of the only way that I would ever get one is if the TV that I actually wanted came with 3D as a result of that's what I wanted. The fact is there's nothing in 3D that I want to watch. Right. That's true. I mean, really, the, the whole focus right now is surrounding... 3D television is sports, and I'm not really a sports guy, so uh, therefore, uh, there's nothing I want to watch in 3D anyway. So, I mean, I find 3D television really cool, but I'm not going to purchase it for my home theater experience because I don't want to watch some movies in 3D. It just it detracts from the overall experience that I would receive. Now, Joe, you have a nice. Huge high definition rear projection TV. It's worked very well for you. I've come over. We've watched stuff. Are you going to bite the bullet maybe this uh, fall and pick up a 3D TV? And if not, why not? Uh, I'm I'm not planning on buying a TV. Uh, at least not anytime soon. Yeah. Um. And uh, and even if I was, uh, 3D would not be a feature. Wait a, wait a minute. How old is your TV? It's uh, old. It's older. It's not. Oh, well, then you need a new one. <laughs> it's old. <laughs> It's not that old. For a refresh. Oh. It, it, does, it, it, does, it does 1080p, which is good enough. Um, I would rather, honestly, I would rather wait until 4K TVs reach the point where they're, be, where they're feasible to buy. Um, but, you know, I, I, 3D is not a feature that will sell or that would cause me to buy a TV or not buy a TV. You know, it, it's not a pivotal feature for me. I've only seen a few times when 3D was actually... The, uh, and, I, and it really wasn't even the 3D of the TV. It was one of the cool tricks you could do with it. Um, you know, Sony released that, the PlayStation TV, what, last year? And one of the cool things about that was if you hook it up to your PS3, you can actually have two players, both of them with shutter glasses, sunk to the same frame. So one player looks at the screen and they see their game. The other player looks at the screen and they see their game. And it's two different screens, but it's on the same TV. Um, I, I've always thought that was a cool feature and I love that idea, but as for TV itself, I, I don't really care. Um, <laughs> you know, a 3d TV doesn't really make it. I think that sums it up right there. Nobody cares. Well, I, I yeah. think what it is, is the television <laughs> manufacturers were hoping that 3d TV would really catch fire 
and thus cause people to purchase new televisions because everybody has these quote-unquote old high-definition TVs, and they need to spend the money putting more money in their pocketbooks. The issue with 3D, with 3D at least at home, is you have two choices, right? You either have expensive shutter glasses. That's correct. You know, between, what, 80 and 100 bucks a pair. Or passive. Or you have passive, which cuts your screen resolution in half. Right. So you either end up with, okay, great, you have a 3D TV that three people can watch at a time. That's it. Three people. That's all you have. Three. Three. Or you have a TV that the shutter, the glasses are only, you know, five bucks, but your image quality is now back down to standard def. Effectively, even though it's 3D. All right. So I don't know, but <laughs> screw, screw it. I mean, seriously, I'm not. I I, I don't care about 3D TV. Like I said, I I'll will, go to a major I theater for a 4K TV before I go and buy a 3D TV. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to let you guys decide what our final geek story is going to be because we're almost out of time for the geek section, and I want to make sure we move. We give the gaming section the time it deserves to talk about. So. Do you guys want to talk about the Nissan Leaf, which is the all-electric car that no one is buying? You want to talk about Google? The other, you mean the other all-electric car that nobody's buying? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about Google axing some of its services? Do you guys want to chat about uh, hard drive shipments coming back to near record levels? Or I think that's just a mention. Or Logitech, <laughs> Harmony Touch, popping up unannounced at Best Buy. I want to talk about the uh, BlackBerry developer video. Other than <laughs> the BlackBerry developer video, <laughs> um, I'll let I'll, I'll I, think let, the, I think the hard drives and the the Harmony remote are both just quick mentions. Okay, and the others, Google is a extended story, and we're talking too long about it already. All right, fine. Let's talk about Nissan. Let's talk about them because no one talks okay. about Nissan, and maybe if we talk about Nissan, it will help. I doubt it. But anyway, Nissan, they are falling well short of their sales target for the Leaf electric car. Now, shocking. I truly, know. Truly shocking. <laughs> now, I know one of our good friends, Carrie uh, Moraz, was even in the market of possibly purchasing a Nissan Leaf. He ended up not buying one. But um, why do you guys think this is? is it, I, you know, part of me thinks it's a little bit of a fear factor that, a lot of people may have, and let me explain the fear factor angle. The fear factor is you're driving, and then all of a sudden you run out of battery juice and you're stuck somewhere. You're stuck You're stuck out in the middle of nowhere, or you're off on the side of the highway and everybody's pointing and laughing at you uh, because you forgot to charge your car, or you didn't have enough charge to get home. Now and the AAA guy shows up with a gallon of gas and asks where to put it. Exactly. Back on the road. Where can I plug in? <laughs> <laughs> now, at least here in the state of Washington, Washington has tried to be on the forefront of creating an electric highway, if you will, where they have quick charging stations all up the major interstate, Interstate 5, and also on U.S. Highway 2 and U.S. Interstate 90. So... Cars can travel for you know eighty to one hundred miles. They stop off at one of these charging stations, if you will. They get a quick uh, charge and they're back on the road again. They don't charge anything for the service. They just plug in and it's good to go. I've never seen one car at one of these facilities. <laughs> yeah, we have we have uh, we have a couple of charging stations at the local Fred Myers. I don't think I've ever seen a car parked there. Yeah, I've seen um, them at the airport. I've seen them at uh, Quest Field, or I'm sorry, CenturyLink Field. If you're going to a football game. Now, here's the benefit, right? 
since no one's using it, if you have one of these cars, you get really good parking, by the way. I mean, you'll right, get right the, up front. This story actually mentions, it says that Arizona drivers were using and recharging their batteries at a faster rate than most Leaf drivers, causing the batteries to lose capacity quicker oh, than because- the manual told them to expect. Because remember, these batteries, even though they're not supposed to be memory batteries, if you force recharge them, the, the quick charge, uh, which will do an 80% charge in like 15 minutes, it will drastically reduce your battery life to the point where I think Nissan says you're only supposed to do that something like 100 times over the life of the car. Right. So the quick start, quick charge stations along I-5, great. That's that's wonderful. You could, in theory, drive your car all the way down I-5 and get from Seattle to Portland or wherever. Right. But you may only be able to do that like four or five times. <laughs> and then your car won't make it between the quick start stations because they're too far apart. And your battery life has been depleted from you overcharging. But people are charging them so quickly because it goes back to that fear factor. They don't want to run out. They, they want to top yeah. it off, if you I, will. I, and, think the, I think that that's a valid reason or, or one of the reasons why it's not being sold. The other reason is cost. The cars are still like thirty grand. Yeah, they're very expensive for what you get. Yeah. And they're a relatively small car. They're not a whole lot bigger than like a than a Mini, a Mini Cooper or something like that. And um, they're way less powerful. Uh, they're comfortable, but they're not great. I've, I actually got to ride uh, to ride in a test drive on one of these things, and they're comfortable, but they're not they're not the end all be all magic electric car. I mean, yeah. that's just not happening. Well, part of the solution I, I feel is the fact that the United States government is increasing mileage standards on vehicles in the future. I think, I believe at some point it's going to be going up to a minimum of 40 to 45 miles per gallon. I don't have the story. I don't have the exact figures in front of me, but I did read about that. So hopefully some of these vehicles that have that uh, not necessarily hybrid uh, technology, but they're electric plus assisted by an engine, by gasoline engine, extended range, if you will, I think that might be the way of going, where you have electric for short distances around town, for quick trips, but you also... So a, a, a plug-in, like the uh, Chevy Volt or... A Volt. Um, I know there's a, a, one of the versions of the... Um, Ford Focus. The Prius will do it. And also the, a new version of the Ford Focus that will be coming out will have that ability as well. They, they, if, it's if like you a can stand range. driving a Ford Focus. Oh, in, come In on. other words, the technology just isn't practical yet. No, no. And I think when you have that kind of electric plus extended range i think that's the way to go the well, let me ask you guys a serious question here you can ask your theory obviously questions. you guys know a lot more about electrical vehicles than i do if you are on the highway or running down the road and you <laughs> and you do run out of a charge what the hell do you do well uh there's two things you can do <laughs> you tow your car to a quick electric station oh you have to get a tow you probably have to get a towed I yeah, mean, well, you you can't you can't dump a gallon of gas into it to get you to no. the next uh, stop. You know, not happening. <laughs> <laughs> see, do you see the impracticality in that? No, the fact it, is that that we like to drive long distances, and the fact if you run out no. of a charge, you're screwed. No, we like to drive long distances, but it, studies have consistently shown that most people don't drive long distances for normal. Everyday routine stuff. I, to work, I think that to the, the like issue, that. the the issue, the twofold issue of not enough distance. You know, because because that is valid. You know, if I had a Nissan Leaf, I would not be able to drive up to visit any anybody I know in Washington. Basically, yeah, I could barely get to the border, and I get to the border and then back, and that's probably about it. Now, if you're in the Plains State where it's totally flat, you're going to be able to get quite a bit further than you will over here, where we actually have hills. You know, I mean, 
you go up a hill and down a hill and up a hill. Anyway, um, but I think the bigger thing is still cost. You know, we, we mentioned the the um, the Chevy Volt is a pl- is a plug in hybrid it allows you to go up to thirty miles uh, without a charge. But if you were to buy one of those, it's about forty thousand dollars. Now, hey Joe, mm-hmm. Joe, I know, but you can get a lease for super cheap. I do know that too. Now, Joe, you said you may not be able to drive up to Washington if you had a leaf. Well. I'm going to have to possibly disagree with you on that because there is the West Coast electric highway that runs from Canada to Oregon okay, all the way down I'm, to I'm California. Sorry. I could drive up there if I stopped every 80 miles Wait, are those, and plugged my are those car quick in charge for seven stations? hours. I'm sorry? Are those quick charge stations? There are quick st- – uh, they're basically they, – they, Some uh, are quick charge and some yes. are standard charge. Yes. So the Wait, quick no, charge ones – That's the other can, thing of this too. Yeah, the quick charge ones are great. You plug in for 20 minutes and you get 8% battery and then you can go on for another, you know, 80 miles or 60 miles or however long it ends up being. But again, you you use the battery, you end up wasting a lot of electricity or not wasting, but you end up wasting uh, or the lifespan. Yeah, wasting the lifespan of the battery or you plug it into a, a regular charger and you let it sit there for six hours. You don't affect the lifespan of the battery very much, but you're stuck there for six hours and yeah. then you can go 100 miles. I mean, there are lots of charging stations all over the state. Yeah, I don't want to be sitting at a rest stop for six hours waiting for my car. You don't have to. There's many other places. There's a Sears store. You can go to the Renton City <laughs> parking garage. Uh, you can go to Starbucks. There's all these different charging stations everywhere. I mean, hell. Yeah, but you're, you're talking about a trip that should be about four hours turning into a trip that could be ten hours or more. But you're going to be sitting in traffic anyway, though. Not for ten hours. <laughs> And what All if right. I decide, okay, well, the freeways are entertaining, but I want to take a back road. Now I can't take the back road because there's no power on the back roads. Well, the government you know, like, doesn't just, want to do that. I'm going to stick with my gas guzzler 6-liter V8. Thank you very much. I'm just going to use that. Hey, I like your gas guzzler. Gas guzzler Actually, V8. I was reading about it. It's not technically a gas guzzler because it gets le- it gets more than 22.5 miles per gallon on the freeway. And on that note, we will move on. <laughs> Hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, we're going to move on to <laughs> we're going to move on to some gaming topics. And as you guys may wait, realize, wait, wait, wait. I, I just uh, want to do this real quick. I yes, just Joe, go ahead. Uh, hard drive shipments from floods have re- or hard drive manufacturing in, in Thailand has recovered <laughs> from the floods, so the prices should drop. And somebody saw an unannounced Harmony Touch sold at Best Buy. Go pick one up if you want it. I've been waiting for the hard drive numbers to come back up so I can start. Buying again, yeah. It's but I, like I said, I think those are just mentions. Yes, those are mentions. I don't think we could do a whole story on it because yep. it's kind of boring. Yeah, let's move on. Our well, drives are cheap again. Yay! We just did a whole story on a Nissan Leaf. No, we talked about electrical vehicles. Yeah. That was that was <laughs> no. My strategy. He's came, just bitter because we didn't do a whole story on the BlackBerry. No, I my strategy was to talk about the technology and geekdom of electric cars, and it worked. See, it worked. If we did that, no, we on- didn't talk about the technology and geek them. Like we talked about how stupid the idea is. It's not stupid. It is stupid. It is not stupid. It's too expensive, and it's and it doesn't give you enough range right now. Not yet. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who's on first? <laughs> Xbox is on first. Let's talk about Xbox. So, uh, oh, more avatars. Who cares? No, no, no. That's not the point of this story. <laughs> Come on, Joe. So, a lot of you guys may realize this, but we're having an election here in the United States. We vote for president every four years. And this year is proving to be one of the most connected elections ever. Every single one of them is the most connected one. Well, so my point is true. That's how technology works. So, Microsoft (laughs) 
is launch. You're going to be able to watch election election coverage through your Xbox console, and you'll be able to interact and participate in live polling, present poll questions via Twitter using the hashtag Xbox poll. And if you do this, and if you watch three of the four debates on Xbox Live, you will get yourself a cool piece of halo armor for your avatar i know john is all over this october 3rd is the first debate Uh, now this is a misprint this is going to be on domestic policy not foreign policy the 11th will be the vice presidential debate the 16th will be the presidential debate on foreign policy and then the one on the 22nd so yes you can get yourself a very cool avatar joe is excited I'm I'm gonna guess you have to have Xbox Live Gold, huh? I don't think so. Probably. I don't know. I Probably. should click on the source. Maybe it'll tell me the source. Yeah. What do you think about this, John? Are you excited? Are you going to uh, fire up your? Do you have a 360? No. Okay. Nope. So I guess you're not. I have a BlackBerry. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna watch it on your BlackBerry. Uh, Joe here says any. Xbox Live Rewards member in the United States who watches three out of four. So you do not need to have gold. That's great. Oh, thank but I, I would have to plug my Xbox in. You would have to power it up. Yes, you would. Versus um, just turning on TV. <laughs> hey, or, or, wait a minute, or wait a minute. Or using this you, magical can, can you even get these, in front these of me that shows your TV? the world. I'm sorry, say that again, John. Can you even get? Can you even see these debates on your TV? If you have high speed internet access through your 360, you will be able to watch the debates through the Xbox on your television. Oh, so this is great for cable cutters. Exactly. Well, actually, here's the thing: it's going to be on all the major networks, NBC, ABC, CBS. So even if you are a cable cutter, a lot of cable cover- cutters still watch television through traditional antenna means and other means. So. But it, let's say you don't have an antenna. You're absolutely right, John. You'll be able to watch the debates, if, even if you have no signal going to your house. It'll be live streamed through another number of places as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one thing that Microsoft is doing that Joe's hates, I know he'll hate this, because if you have to have an Xbox Live Gold membership to do this, is they're going to be offering rewards for Xbox achievements. Okay, They're going to have three different levels based upon the amount of achievements that you've unlocked. So if you unlocked 3,000 to 9,000, you are considered a contender. If you have 10,000, I'm sorry, that's 3,000 to 9,999. Champion levels 10,000 to 25,000, and legend is from 25,000 and up. What will happen is you will receive a special gift during your birthday month, and champions will also receive uh, a 1% rebate on Xbox Live Marketplace purchases every month. Legends will get a 2% update. So this encourages people to actually play games, gain gamer score, and unlock rewards. I actually like this. This encourages gameplay. It encourages people to play games. Granted, though, it's always been an addiction for me to get those those high uh, Xbox Live gamer scores. What do you feel? How do you feel about this, Joe? I have a feeling, but go ahead. I just want to point out that I have six thousand over six thousand gamer score. So on you're Xbox. So you're a contender apparently. level. You're contender level. No, no, I'm not, because most of those are PC games, which have to have oh. the game uh, Gaze for Windows Live built into it. <laughs> um, and uh, and and 
I just hate it. I mean, it's I, who cares? What do you, what do you get from this stupid thing? I mean, what do you gain from this wonderful thing that they've uh, allowed us to be part of? You gain rebates on marketplace purchases. Oh, and a special how, gift. How much a rebate? How much is yeah? One percent. One percent. One percent every what, week. One percent. Fantastic. So I 1% get a whole penny off on on purchases. <laughs> do you not want money back? You can give it to me if you well, want. You, well, no, no, no I'm That's not okay. getting money back. Right, because all the purchases have to be done with Microsoft's credits or whatever they are. Right, which is money you put into the system and never get back out of it. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just uh, I'm, I'm just a little that, but that's what you get. One percent or two percent okay. if you're a legend. Right, great, and you get a special gift during your birthday month, which is probably like a piece of armor for your avatar or something like that. That's, that's <laughs> fantastic. All I have to say is they're announcing this right now. Everybody who has a birthday in September, like me, is going to feel shafted. Just saying. Yeah, well, you'll have it next September. Don't worry, Joe. No, I won't. <laughs> I'd have to have Xbox Live Gold. <laughs> this sounds so much like uh, credit card rewards, where you have to have 20,000 points yeah. after you spend $3 million just to get one airline ticket but what is wrong with this this is included well, but, but it's what nothing... happens what happens when more games are released so the number of possible points increases are they going to leave these no the no 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 what, are they going to bump them up one thing you have to realize is as of right now there is a limit to the number of gamer points are allowed per title they yeah. they can't add like say this no, game's I know worth 10,000 points or anything they're not going to stop making games right no no you're right so every game that comes out adds to the most the possible number of points you can have in the entire well system. i already know a, a crap ton of people who have gamer scores over 25,000 already right so but that's what i'm saying though yeah. as more games come out people play those the the average gamer score is going to go up right. and all of a sudden being a contender means you've played 5 games you know i mean it's going to mean nothing and being a champion means you've played a few more Right. So eventually it's going to reach the point where it just doesn't matter anymore. Not and everybody's going to be a legend, and it's going to be like, Well, this cares? not necessarily. I, I mean... They're, they're, they're going to bump up the points, and the people who aren't to those levels are going to feel dissed. No, I don't think so. They're creating a cast system. <sighs> yeah, that's yeah. you're right. They're, gonna, they're just going to add another level on top of legend. Yeah, they're going to make it platinum or something. Yeah. They're not going to... This is to encourage people to buy Xbox Live Gold memberships. Uh-huh. Uh, this is to encourage uh, people that hey, to you're, spend money. You're, yeah, that's true, and you're also getting a rebate on your purchases. It's, granted, it's a small rebate. I'm not discounting that. Why do I feel like I have to play the devil's advocate on this episode? I swear to God, on everything, you know, I have to try. To- you keep picking stories that are bad. No, I'm just trying <laughs> to have a fair and balanced. Uh, uh, try to have a fair and balanced uh, view on these things. Here's well, another. Okay, okay. So, if we, if we <laughs> assume that Xbox Live Gold is good, which I don't want to make that assumption, uh-huh. but if we assume it's good uh-huh. and worth the money you put into it, uh-huh. then the very, very small amount that they give back to you if you happen to make it to legend status is worth the several hundred dollars that you've paid for games over the years, the sixty bucks you've paid for uh, for a year of Xbox Live Gold, and the untold money that you've given into them for peripherals and other things, uh-huh. it's worth two percent back and a special thing to have on your on your avatar. Hey, hey right now I'm getting zero percent back. So when I go from zero to two, hey Chase, yeah, but Chase, check this out. You can get all of it back by just not buying anything in the online store. 
Right, but if I'm going to buy something anyway, solved. if I, if I was going to be purchasing <laughs> okay, something but, but anyway, happens, but what happens if you buy uh, twenty five points, whatever the you know, well, I forget what the point numbers are. Twenty five hundred. So twenty five hundred is the minimum number you can buy. Or no, no, like? it's like four hundred, I think. Okay, but whatever you buy, five bucks. Say worth. you buy you buy twenty five hundred. Yeah. And you buy something for twenty one hundred. Right. Okay. How many things can you buy then with the last four hundred remaining? Or right. Does the additional two percent that you get back from this? Which on uh, on twenty five hundred is what five points enables you to buy what? Uh, maybe a hat for my avatar. I could just go play TF two for like an hour and get five or six hats. I I don't. <laughs> what What's your argument here again? I'm, miss, uh, I'm missing. Xbox Live Gold is stupid, and no one should buy into it. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> Hey, here's another Microsoft story. That's right, back to back to back. Microsoft has been boosting their security at their facility over there in Redmond, Washington at Xbox Live headquarters to a new level, gearing up for their next console. Because of the fact that they want to make sure that there are no leaks, if you will, they are going to increase where people are... uh, Now, before people were able to basically enter into the facility... They didn't need escorts. They didn't, they didn't need special passes, if you will. But obviously, this is Microsoft ramping up for their next console. Are you guys excited for the next edition of the 360? Joe, no, you're not. Okay, very good. John? Yeah, but shouldn't they have been in super heavy development on this thing already? Well, maybe they're moving into another stage where it's starting to get heavy. Maybe it was gradual. It's a, it's a sloped approach, if you will. Yeah, but I, they should have been in... For a in refresh? Yeah, yeah, it is time for a refresh. <laughs> I mean, shouldn't they have been in hard, like, like super hard development for this thing for at least two years now? No, because... In game development for at least a year. Yeah. Well, maybe they, they have been, and now it's gotten to the point where they need to be more secretive about it. All right. I mean... I don't know. How, I guess. Maybe. I haven't seen very many Xbox... 720 or whatever the next version is going to be release uh, leaks yet. So. The Xbox Circle? I don't know. I don't know what they're going to call it. Hey. The Xbox Red Ring? Um. The, the Xbox Red Ring. <laughs> yeah. Sony has come out and said that they are going to be supporting the PlayStation 3 till at least 2015. Uh, that is coming from Sony's Vice President of Hardware Marketing, John Kohler. He revealed. And obviously... There's a lot of titles that are going to be coming out over the next couple of years. Also, probably another console as well. So, is this surprising? Is this shocking? Does this make sense? And they've also promised a number of undisclosed first-party games as well over the next three years. I don't think this is surprising. Sony doesn't know when to know doesn't know when to drop a product. Uh, Sony Vita. Uh, they're still selling UMD movies. Uh, really. Yeah, yeah, you go to Fry's, you can see there's a whole rack of them. They well, are you sure those... Are, what are the titles? I Because I, well, I went and browsed through the UMD movies. Uh, yeah, no, I have no idea. But Is it like two-for-one specials? Yeah, it's like when HD DVD was going out. No, I don't think it's quite that good, but... Uh, yeah, and yes, that chick, is, that chick is hot. That's Jess, uh, I think that's Jessica Chobot. <laughs> anyway, John, uh, do, you, uh, uh, do you have any consoles? No. Okay, fine. So you don't care about the PS3 lasting <laughs> until 2015. I think it's interesting, but the fact that... I mean, what do you want from these people? I mean, something's going to have to end eventually. That's true. They just need to build PS3 support into the PS4 hardware. 
like they did with the PS2. To it's PS3. not going to happen. I mean, they're but, but they're going to cut I mean, the cord I mean, on look, that. Look at, look at the lifespan of the Xbox 360 so far. It's been really long. Really yeah. long. Is, well, like, in dog years, it's like, like in dog years, it's 120 right now. What, what's the average lifespan or expected average lifespan for, for an actual gaming console these, these days? Well, we Something thought, that's actually popular. We thought it was like three to five years. That's what it used to be. Super Nintendo and then Nintendo 64, then GameCube, if I'm going off the Nintendo timeline, and then Wii. It, it was, you know, pretty much about three to five years. I know there's probably a great Wikipedia article about it and maybe a nice <laughs> graphic, if you will. But this has definitely been the longest, you know, hardware timeline there ever has been. So at this point, with this next generation console technology, we really don't know what a good timeline is for a console refresh. And I think part of the problem, if you will, is the libraries get so freaking large on these consoles is the companies don't want to cut off their existing users if the future console is not backwards compatible. And at this point, a lot of people have gotten used to that. Where if you bought a... Microsoft did this where, you know, obviously if you had a Xbox One and they bought a 360, they had certain... X amount of titles that were compatible, not all, but some, usually the popular titles. PlayStation 3 was backwards compatible with PlayStation 2. The Wii was backwards compatible with the GameCube. Everything that we've been hearing isn't going to happen here with the next generation of consoles. So, I don't know. Then do well, you the, feel the, like the Wii U is going to be compatible with Wii games, just not GameCube games. Okay, that makes sense. One, it's one step yeah. back. Okay. And the, I almost feel like we're at a kind of plateau with consoles. Well, consoles cool. are turning into full media hub platforms. You're, you're seeing that, where True. it's not it's not just video games anymore. And I, I know that this was part of Microsoft's strategy and Sony's strategy, where they get into your living room and they offer you other things other than games. I mean, I use my 360 to watch baseball as a great example, using the MLB app, and I love it. So... It's going to be the next generation. The, the question is, where we're going to get? Are we going to get backwards compatibility? I don't think we will. Uh, well, the with, current, with the current. Okay, so so I, I just looked them up. The Xbox 360 was uh, released in the U.S. Uh, the first one, uh, you know, the, the initial release was November 16 of 2005. It beat both other platforms, the PS3 and the Wii, by a year. Uh, PS3 came out November 11, 2006, and the Wii came out November 19, 2006. So even the newest console wow. the Wii which we obviously have a replacement for coming out this year is already 6 years old. Wow. Yeah. Um the Xbox 360 is a full 7 years old uh this November and it, if they're only now going to work on development for it hopefully it'll come out for next Christmas but who knows maybe it'll end up being an 8-year-old console. But yeah, the number of titles available for these things it I don't know how they could say they're not going to at least have backwards compatibility with the first release like they did with the Xbox and the PS3, the know. 360 and the PS3 I don't know. because there, the, there's so many titles out there, and it's not like the titles look bad. It's just that they don't look as good as you know, like a PC game. But I'm then, gonna, then you're also talking about at that point, you almost have to kind of add support for as long as possible, like what they're doing for the Sony PlayStation, where they're saying, "Well, we're going to have support for it until 2015." You know, in looking back at the history of these consoles, Super Nintendo, Nintendo. Some of the largest consoles as far as, you know, installation base and games. I mean, look how many titles that were released for the Super Nintendo as an example. 
and they made the move over to Game, uh, not GameCube, but Nintendo 64. Mm-hmm. How many Super Nintendo games were compatible with the Nintendo 64? None that I recall. Exactly. So just because there's a large and installed... I had one of those. <laughs> just because there's a large installed user base does not, and a large number of games, does not equal the next console will have backward compatibility. Now, I will say this. A lot of us have gotten used to that fact, but I don't know if we're going to get that going forward again. Now, we... And the Wii U, that's going to happen. We have already know that's going to happen. However, will that happen with the other consoles? We really don't know yet. Um, so we'll see. Now, we talked about Steam and Valve earlier in the show. And Steam Linux beta is emitting 1,000 users in October. Uh, they will test the client along with one Valve game, which is likely to be Left 4 Dead 2. The beta supports Ubuntu 12.04 and above. It's intended for experienced Linuxines. Is that how you pronounce that, Joe? Maybe you would know. Linuxines? Linux? Linux? Uh, Linux? Uh, The Linux client will not include big picture mode. Uh, So, sorry about that, guys. I I would say Linuxians, but that's... Linuxians? Okay. Joe, are you going to try to get in on this this beta test? Maybe you should, man. Yeah, I I really should. Um, I don't have a gaming system that has Linux on it. I I am of the opinion that Linux is a really good server OS, but not the best desktop OS. Right. Um, But uh, no, I I should should totally try to get in on this. I'm not sure where the beta sign-up is, though. Uh, Well, there is a link at blogs.valvesoftware.com slash Linux. They have a blog there. Um, So maybe maybe there's information in there. Yeah, I'll, I'll look. One uh, big game that a lot of people out there are playing and live streaming on Twitch is DayZ, uh, which is a mod for Arma 2. Well, now they are working on development to have a you know, self-titled release that won't require a mod. It's going to be on its own DayZ, uh, and it will launch, hopefully, by the end of the year. Most likely in December, according to the creator Dean Hall, who he said that at the Eurogamer Expo. He said, Daisy isn't just going to release in December, it has to. <laughs> Whenever you hear a developer, you know, spout that kind of thing, you know, it has to. You know, it gets involved. Now, Joe, I've seen you play this a few times. Actually, I've seen you play it as recently at one of my lands here. Yeah. Um, obviously, this is a good move. With all the zombie games that are out there currently, this one is a little bit different. It's more simulation-based where, obviously, if you break your leg while you're running or you attract a horde of zombies, you know, good luck with yourself. Yeah. So, obviously, a good move for them to help push development because they don't want to miss out on the panic, if you will. Well, I think the the big thing, too, is DayZ, at least for Arma, for Arma 2, is not... The install is not super easy. Yeah. Uh, so releasing a dedicated DayZ client, a de- dedicated DC release, or DayZ re- release, I think is really, really good because it'll make it easier for people who want to get into the game but perhaps aren't ready or aren't able to handle the complicated install process. That's right. John, I think that game would be perfect for you, as a matter of fact. You seem like a guy that doesn't like zombies. No, yeah, I... I Whatever. <laughs> you you know you probably could mod it so the characters had blackberries. Oh. <laughs> and actually, all the zombies have blackberries, and you're trying to run from them so you don't get yeah, infected. That might be a good mod. That'd be a great mod. <laughs> now, you, know, you, you could, you could actually speaking of, 
I didn't even think about this. You should get on our on our Minecraft server and build a giant BlackBerry in pixel art. <laughs> oh, man. You guys, man. Crazy, crazy stuff. <laughs> our final story is a little bit of a throwback to the past that I just kind of wanted to throw in there and chat about real quick. And that is the game Carmageddon. It's Armageddon that starts with the letter C. It has, thanks to a Kickstarter project... The and game me. and Joe, <laughs> the game is now available on GOG.com. It's the Carmageddon Max Pack for only $9.99. And for those who do not know about GOG, it stands for Good Old Games. These games are DRM. It, it used to. Oh. It doesn't anymore. Now it's just GOG.com. Oh, it's just GOG. Okay. Yeah. Does it, it used to stand for good old games, but now because they sell current new games as well. Yes. It's no longer good old games. It's but the, just- now, do the games still offer, are they still DRM free? Yes. And they DRM still. DRM free, and uh, they will run, even like Carmageddon, which came out originally on, uh, on, in DOS, uh, runs in a, um, in a DOS shell, uh, in a free, I think it's free DOS or, or some, one of the, one of the DOS shells. But yeah, I, I actually, cause I, the reason I say because of me is cause I'm one of the, uh, I, I put in money on the Kickstarter. And so I received the, my email a few days ago that said, Hey, you get it on, on GOG. I was like, sweet. Awesome. So, yeah. um, I downloaded and played a little bit. You want to tell I, real quick, Joe, yeah. to, to those out there who may not know what, Carmageddon is because we grew up knowing it because we know DOS, but a lot of kids and a lot of guys may not know and so remember. Carmageddon is um, it's a racing game, but really it's not about racing. It's about running over pedestrians or destroying other cars. But So there's three different ways to win a race. You either run over all the pedestrians in the map, you destroy <laughs> all the opponent cars, or you actually race through checkpoints and finish out the map that way. Right. However... I don't think I've ever, in all the years, because I actually played Carmageddon and the Carmageddon 2 and Carmageddon TDR 2000 and the different versions of it, I don't think I ever actually finished the race. I think I always just destroyed my opponents. <laughs> I think just to prove that I could do it, maybe I did it once, but that's also the same reason I also ran over all pedestrians once. So, But yeah, anyway, Carmageddon is tons of fun. It's a really, really good game. Um, however, I did launch it and did start playing it and was just like, hey, cool, Carmageddon, yay. Got it going. And oh my goodness, I cannot believe how far graphics have come. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I, I, was trying, I'm try, I was trying as you were, you were talking to pull up uh, a video clip of Carmageddon. Looks like it doesn't want to agree with me. Oh, oh here we go. It, uh, there's a bunch of screenshots on the, on the Kickstarter or on the... Um, on the page for it, and uh, well, they actually look better than I had it looking on. on All right, so here, here's Carmageddon. So there's the car, and basically you can run over pedestrians, uh, and there's blood spattering, and there's look a little bit of full motion video, like GIF, if you will, the driver and making weird faces and noises, yep. and <laughs> it's 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 cool looking. But you I can guess. see the frame rate is is not very good, and no. that and that yeah, and the graphics are not all that great. I mean, they actually these actually look better than they were looking on mine. I think I need to tweak the settings a little bit for my install. But yeah. um, the 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 reason this came about and the significance of this and and why there was a Kickstarter for it is the company that originally developed it, Stainless Games. The guys who were there have gotten back together, and. Um, and they've they're working on a project. They, it was funded by Kickstarter. Six hundred twenty five thousand dollars went into it out of a four hundred thousand dollar goal. They are working on a recreation with modern graphics and modern engine of the original Carmageddon, and uh, allegedly it will be out early next year. Very cool. But nothing so, beats nostalgia. 
No, no, of course not. That's why I have a MAME cabinet as a great example in my garage with over 5,000 titles that you cannot play in most places because they're just not available. Um, and uh, I love the nostalgia games. I love playing old school stuff. So when I saw this Carmageddon thing, I was like, oh, dude, we got to talk about it. So Awesome, man. All right, well, now it's time for our Picks of the Week. Did I do a good job? Okay. Uh, these you need are, an echo button or something. I do. I don't have an echo button. But no. these are... I can produce one for you. That would be great. Thank you. Please uh, produce an <laughs> echo button. Maybe maybe make it a Kickstarter project. Uh, there you this, go. <laughs> this is highlighting great technology, gadgets, and more of things that we'd like here at geekgamer.tv. Uh, we try to come up with something to share with you that maybe you haven't heard of before. And uh, we're going to start off first with our guest of honor, Mr. John Bob. John... What is your pick of the week? You can go, John. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, you've stunned right, so, him. Uh, what? Uh? You, you, you've stunned him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Congratulations, Chase. Go, John, go. It's, <laughs> it's just like regular John. This is cool. Yeah, no. The, he, <laughs> wait, I think we just broke him like yeah. regular John. John is broken. We have broke John. All right. <laughs> John John is now turning red, just like last week now. He, he, is, he is now... It's all your fault. Don't adjust your video right. screens. He is still... He is, he's good. All right, go ahead, right, John. You, you, you have the website pulled up, though, right? I do. Ready to go. Go for right, it. So my, my pick of the week is a, uh application for Windows called Clover. And what it does is that it adds Chrome-like tabs to Windows Explorer. I deal a lot of with moving around files on Windows Explorer because I do video stuff for GFQ and I'm in a lot of locations, so I'm copying files back and forth. And uh, I having multiple windows open of Windows Explorer. Yeah. I rather just have tabs, Chrome-like tabs. And Clover does that very, very well. I mean, wow. there's been programs and add-ons for uh, Windows Explorer to do similar things, but nothing comes as good as Clover does. This looks great. Beautifully created. It looks exactly like Chrome tabs. And I mean exactly like Chrome tabs. So if you've ever used Chrome, you know just how easy it is to use uh, tabs and how beautiful they look. And so you can have multiple tabs open, and you can do um, Control-W to close tabs once you're done with it, which is really cool that it adds some uh, keyboard shortcuts to it. But it also adds bookmarking which you don't normally find in Windows Explorer. So if you want to like bookmark a lot of locations and then have a bookmark toolbar, which is a little bit different from the favorites, so you want to have it just as a toolbar, which might be a little bit better for your workflow, uh, that's pretty cool as well. You can actually right-click on a tab and choose Bookmark All Tabs, so you can bookmark every single tab that you have open so that you can later open it again, which is oh, really wow. cool. Wow, this is really beautifully neat. done. And it's the best implementation that I've seen so far of tabs inside of Windows Explorer because I don't necessarily like some of the other alternatives out there that do have tabs. Right. I just rather use Windows Explorer yeah. with tabs. This looks and really Clover cool. Clover just does that so well. Wow. Now, now you've been using this, I assume, for a while. How? What kind of performance? Do you get a performance hit, or is it seamless? I mean. How, it's how's not performance? perfect, okay. but it's pretty dang good. It's it's the best Im- implementation that I've seen of tabs in Windows Explorer. Very cool. 
Awesome. And this is, does it cost anything? Is it free? Absolutely free. And it works on all Windows platforms, all the way from uh, XP, uh, 64 bit, Windows 8, I believe, as well. Now, when I went to the website, the actual website, um, it's giving me, it's being translated from Chinese to English. So is this done by yeah. a Chinese developer? It, it is done by a non-English developer, so when you go to their website, you have to click on the uh, link that actually says English. Gotcha. That, there it is right there. How easy that. Clover Wings for Internet for Windows Explorer. There you go. It's very, I mean, very it's cool. It's really cool. It's very done. It, it's so slick in how it does it. So that even if you uh, open up, mistakenly do uh, Windows key E to open up another Windows Explorer, it'll actually open it up as another tab. Oh, wow. I like this. I'm, I'm, I think I'll give this a shot on my Windows machine because I always go to certain Windows all the time in Explorer. It would be nice just to have a nice, quick, shortcut tab ready to you go. You can even and, do Control-T and start typing your location. It's so cool that you can actually do wow. Control-T and Control-W. Because I already I use those all the time in, in my browser. That kind of just makes sense. That's a, yep. that's, that's a great pick. It's called Clover for Explorer on Windows platform, and we'll have a link in our show notes. Thanks so much, John, for your pick. All right, Mr. Joseph Falby, what's your pick of the week? So, uh, Chase made a crack earlier about Kickstarter things. Um, about Kickstarter things, uh, probably because I seem to always pick a pick of the week that's from Kickstarter. Because all the cool stuff is there. Uh, and this one is one of the coolest ones I've seen yet. It's already done. It's been backed. It's it's ready to go. It's still got 25 days as of this recording, but it's it's good to go. Um, it's hit 1.2 million of a hundred thousand dollar initial goal, so they've more than done their job. Oh, you're it's teasing ho- us. Tell us what is it's, it? It's called Form One, and uh, their tagline is an it's an affordable professional 3D printer. So yes, yet another 3D printer. I have some sort of obsession with these. I think uh, this one is a little different though. This is not a depositing 3D printer, which is what most of the ones that I've looked at so far are. Uh, the depositing ones have a um, have a head that actually deposits plastic in layers, building up. This is completely different. This is actually, um, it's, uh, it's called, uh, what is it called? I can't remember what the name of this thing is called, or this type of, of uh, printing. It's a, uh, oh, st- it uses stereolithography is what it's called. And uh, basically, instead of printing a layer at a time vertically, it still prints a layer at a time, but it, it actually uses lasers to solidify a fluid and build it up in that method. So you still end up with plastic, but the resolution that you end up getting is much, 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 much higher than you do with the depositing 3D printer. And uh, on the Kickstarter page, um, the video shows some interesting information, but they have some really, really good photos down below right. of, of things that were printed with depositing and one, and printed with um, the same exact object printed using the stereolithography. Okay. And uh, the the resolution the quality of the prints are so much much higher. Oh um, yeah, they, they can they can do a resolution as fine as twenty five microns, which is really really small, um, about a thousandth of an inch. Really really cool thing. Um, the the big breakthrough on this one is these stereolithography printers used to be really expensive, fifteen thousand dollars and up. 
this is coming in. Uh, you can actually back one uh, right now for $2,700 and get one. Um, they did have some early backers were able to get them for as low as $2,300, but uh, those sold out. They only had 25 of them, and they sold out really, really fast. So if you're looking at a 3D printer and you want to throw some money at it, maybe you're looking at a MakerBot because those are about $2,000 anyway. If you're, if you're willing to put a, f- a few more hundred dollars into it, pick up one of these because you're going to get much, much higher quality results out of it. And even though they don't have multiple colors yet, they just have a kind of a gray color. Um, they will be doing multiple colors in the future. Not in the same model, but they'll have different colors for the materials. I still think do. it looks really cool, though, regardless. I mean, it's a, it's a really cool looking device. The, the, uh, the industrial design they put into the thing is, I think, really outstanding, just the style. And, um, it's, it's just the, 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 the quality of the, of the prints is so high with this. Uh, I, I just think it's really awesome. And they, uh, the other thing they said they're really proud of is they've done a lot of development work doing really, really easy to use and really straightforward software, uh, something to, that, that some of the other printers are missing. But um, it's really cool. Uh, I'm really, really thinking about picking up a 3D printer. Um, I'm probably going to at some point. Um, but I'm not quite going to take this plunge. This is a bit more than I want to start with. I'm going to start with something a little cheaper, and then uh, hopefully in a in a, f- a couple of years here when these are more available, I'll pick up one of these instead. I would love but, to pick up one of these, but I just don't know what I would do with one. <laughs> you know, that's that's the question I came up with. And then you know, thinking about it, I've I've found several things around the house that I've been like, you know what, I would love to have an alternative case for that. Um, something that's a, a has a little bit more functionality or does something a little more than than what it does as its default. So, like I have a, a project, um, another Kickstarter. This thing that was is called a um, is called a trigger trap, and the problem is is the case they they send, which is pretty, is just a couple pieces of plastic, and this is supposed to be used with a camera. So I'm actually going to design and build a case or a print a case that uh, will let me mount it to my camera, or my tripod, that sort of thing. And uh, you know, if you if you look around your house, you'll come up with a bunch of things like that that you can build, and then you can come up with a bunch of fun things. Uh, you know, the common one is the companion cube for Portal, or one of the uh, the the bots from Portal Two. Um, you know, there's a bunch of stuff out there that that if you think about or it, or a stand come up for and, my BlackBerry. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, that's one of the most common ones. Is there's a bunch of models out there uh, for making stands for phones, and uh, that's the other thing too. Is if you if you really don't come up with any ideas. Um, there's a website out there called The Thingiverse, and they have a whole bunch of public models that you can just download and print on your 3D printer. And uh, some of them are really, really cool. Some of them are really are silly. The, are the supplies but, uh, expensive? Like the material? I know the, the material is not actually for for this printer. I'm not sure about the cost of the materials because it is a, a new tech. But the the an example is the um, uh, the reels for the the depositing printers. You can get uh, two to five pound. Uh, spools of the of the the wire, the actual plastic cable or wire that goes into it, uh, and those are are in the thirty to forty dollar range. So, and they'll build quite a bit. I mean, two pounds it doesn't sound like that much, but two pounds is actually quite a bit of material. Got it uh, for for a bunch of small things. Cool. Um, so, no, I, I think I love this three D printing idea. I love the home three D printing. I think it's it's time has come, and I really want to get into it. Um, I just haven't found exactly the right one yet. So. But yeah, this is this uh, form one. If you're already into it and you want to take it to the next level, you want higher quality stuff. This is where you got to go because uh, you will not get anything, anything close to this sort of price level and this sort of accuracy and and just the quality of the prints uh, are outstanding. Wow! So this looks really, really cool. Um, 
So I have it's another 3D, thinking. 3D print pick that I'm going to do in a couple weeks for people who don't want to get into it, who don't want to buy into it. Um, uh, if you if you don't want to buy a full 3D printer, I'm, I'm working on another th- a pick that I'm going to hopefully do in a couple three weeks here that uh, will let you do some of the 3D printing stuff without having to invest in a full 3D printer. Wow, very very cool, Joe. Well, awesome pick of the week from you. It's a 3D printer. Maybe out of the price range of some people out there, our target audience. But uh, <laughs> but if you want to print out really cool armor pieces for your action figures, this yeah, is actually, the yeah, thing people for you. Use them for doing uh, <laughs> desktop games. If you want, uh, you want to, if you want your own Monopoly piece, you know this this is worth it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it it has a lot of really cool applications. But awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for the pick, Mister Joe. My pick this week is a Kickstarter project that was successfully funded and turned into an application for iOS, and that is called Dark Sky. It's available for the iPhone and iPad, and this, and I agree with some of the quotes that are flying across the screen from all these different review sites. CNET says this is a must-have for weather junkies, and I agree. The really, really cool thing about this app and it's not your just your typical weather forecasting app. But what it will do is it will tell you, obviously, what the weather is like right now. But it will also tell you, is it going to rain within the next hour? And it uses really cool radar a- animations to let you see the actual path of your storm. And it will tell you, all right, well, it's going to rain in about an hour for about 45 minutes. Because what it does is it actually tracks the path of the storm. If you have a storm coming in your neighborhood, and the, the it is also location aware, so when you fire up your app, it will actually know where you're at, and it'll it'll focus in on that, and you could see the animations of of the radar. It's just really really cool. Um, now it was like I said a Kickstarter project, and as you could see here, it got over 1,200 backers. They were looking for a goal of 35,000. And they reached thirty. Uh, they got up to thirty nine thousand. So they did fund it successfully, and it is now available on iTunes in the App Store for three dollars and ninety nine cents. And this is a universal app, so you don't have to buy it twice for the iPad and then buy for your iPhone. And it's great. Uh, they just recently updated it to support the uh, iPhone five and iOS six. And um, I gotta say, it's really cool. What I, I use it for primarily is I'll fire up the app to see if it's about to rain before I mow the lawn. <laughs> so this way I don't have to go to websites <laughs> and, and look at the, the radar and see, all right, man, all right, I see the rain starting to come my direction. Do I have enough time to squeeze in? This takes that out. And also with version 2.0, there's push notifications. So we'll notify you before it starts to rain wherever you're at. It's Pretty freaking cool, if you ask me. Not bad. Well worth the $3.99, in my opinion. And it looks great. Um, What's the uh, accuracy like on that? Well, I, I know with what, all kinds of weather forecasting, I don't know if you could you know, put a number on it, per se. Um, but I would say this. It's worked. I, for me, personally, it's been accurate. Um, I I don't want to say a hundred percent because I don't think you know weather forecasting can right. be a hundred percent. But when it said it's it's about to rain within the next hour, and sure enough, it's rained. Or when it says it's not going to rain because it looks at the the, the radar for, uh, of the area, it's been accurate. A great example is 
my uh, it was really omni uh, the clouds were really dark and i fired up the app and it says it wasn't going to rain within the next hour and actually it, it will go out and do i think up to about three or four hour predictions so you can actually there's a slider across the bottom and you can watch it move across and i made a bet with my wife and i said I, it's not going to rain today she was like, how do you know? How do you know? I'm like, uh, according to this app, it's not going to rain. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of things. And he's like, ah, no, it's, it's going to rain. But it didn't. It, was, it worked. <laughs> so, That's cool. Yeah. It's, it's really, really well done. It was a Kickstarter project that actually happened, and they launched, and there it is. It's called Dark Sky. If you want more information about it, uh, you can head over to their website, darkskyapp.com. And it's only available right now for iOS. I don't know if they're working on – let me look in their blog. Maybe they're working on Android solutions. I'm not sure. Um, maybe maybe not. I don't think so. Delamar no in the uh, chat says that he thinks the Android version is called Cloudy Sky. <laughs> well, if they have one, it's not – they're not talking about it. But uh, they, they have a really Connects cool – Next to the Dark Sky APIs. Oh, yeah. They do have a, an API. So, yeah, that would make sense. So, yeah, that's probably right. Maybe it's not officially a Dark Sky offshoot, but, they, yeah, Dark Sky does have an API that you can use. So, Very cool. That's my pick of the week. And that's it for our show. Uh, we had a great time this week uh, debating all the great topics, and I was being, you know, beat up by, <laughs> by a lot of you guys. Uh, Joseph, go cry about it. Yeah, I, I should go cry about it. Um, <laughs> Just uh, just want to remind everybody, now starting tomorrow on October 1st, the Podcast Awards kick off. Uh, this is an annual thing where you can go in, actually, as of right now, as of midnight Eastern, 9 Pacific, so as of right now, you can go online and nominate your favorite show in many different categories, uh, such as business, cultural arts, education, comedy, food and drink, and many, many other categories. Now, here's the thing. If you go in here and uh, nominate somebody in a category and you submit the form, that's it. You're done. So you want to make sure that you take your time, fill out the form before you toss in your nomination. Now, what we're asking for on this show, we do not want you voting for us this year. We want you to support our favorite gaming show that we do on this network, and that is Minecraft Me. Joe and I put a lot of work into the show. Joe sets up the, the community server. He you know, puts money, time, and energy into making things great for you guys out there. I put a lot of my time, money, and energy to make sure the show looks good and edit. I mean, Joe handles his part of it just well. I, I handle my part of it just well. And what we want you guys to do is nominate us in the gaming category. But make sure you give love and fill out all the other categories first. And then when you go under the uh, gaming category and type in Minecraft Me and the URL, and that's it. It's really, really simple and easy to do. You fill it out and you're done. And the nominations close on October 15th. So make sure you tell your friends about it. But don't fill it out yet uh, until you have completed the whole form. Because if you don't, You'll lose out. But if you want, that's fine. Just nominate us and forget about everybody else. Uh, 
as I uh, as I said just a moment ago, Joseph Falby is the co-host of Minecraft Me. You can follow him on Twitter at Falby F A L B E Y. He's also payback in our Minecraft server and also in uh, many other games. Even not even game for Windows though. He's PDX payback on that. <laughs> Never log into it anyway. That's true. Thanks so much for joining us this week, Joe. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been good times. Yeah, great times. Um, and uh, filling the role of John Kessler this week is this gentleman right here, Mr. John Bob. You can follow him on his website, amadeus.com, or you can also follow him on Twitter, at Suncast. And uh, have you been doing any cool stuff over there at amadeus.com as I pull it up here, uh, John? I see you got some uh, uh, a 4 a.m. song here. Yeah, that's from uh, Alex G. She's a YouTube artist that has just a crazy voice. And she recently, this just this past week, released her very first EP, four original songs from this artist that mainly has done cover songs up until this point. And it's just amazing to see the actual original songs from her because it's so crazy when you have an artist that starts off on YouTube, grows, and eventually has her own original songs. Wow, and she's and you can also get her stuff on, on iTunes as well. Which is Absolutely. Great. Well, that's cool. I, I love the fact that you support the the, the independent artist uh, that sometimes doesn't get a lot of exposure, and you're helping them in that regard. Hopefully, they give well, you. Well, that's a kickback. why I started Amadeus because there's just so many people out there that that post videos to YouTube that have incredible voices, and I just don't absolutely understand how they don't have record deals out there right now. They're not putting out any kind of records, but they're just amazing people. Yeah. Yeah, that reminds me. Right after the show, I got to send you a link of this guy that, this kid who who did some great, great stuff um, doing covers, and he hasn't. I haven't seen any of his original stuff, uh, but his name escapes me. But I'll, I'll have to forward it to you after the show. Uh, but thanks, John, for joining us. It's uh, always a pleasure to have you on. Thanks. Hey, no problem. Also want to remind all you guys, if you haven't done so yet, uh, you probably have, head over to geekgamer.tv. That is our hub for everything on the website. Uh, there you could uh, obviously support us by shopping at Amazon, by clicking that uh, Amazon banner before you go and do your shopping. Also, uh, you can also join us in our community forums. We have a great forum community talking about Minecraft, geeky and gaming stuff and more. And, of course, if you haven't done so, head over to iTunes and rate us and subscribe or tell a friend. Just tell one person about the show and then have that one person tell somebody, and then it just kind of blows up. It's awesome. We do this show every Sunday evening around 6 p.m. Pacific unless uh, Joe is running late from a restaurant. And (laughs) (laughs) Got to have fun with you, Joe. Come on. (laughs) But you know what? Thanks to an awesome piece of technology called Glimpse, I was able to see where Joe was. And we would start on time at our rescheduled time. All I have to say is, <clears throat> I'm glad I don't have a Nissan Leaf. I probably would have run out of battery. You probably would have been. St- <laughs> <laughs> you would have had to uh, recharge at Starbucks or something. Yeah, I would have. St- yeah, I would have had to stop somewhere on the electronic highway and let it charge for uh, 20 minutes and reduce the lifespan of my battery. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's great stuff. <laughs> Well, folks, we do this, like I said, every Sunday evening, 6 p.m. Pacific. We do Minecraft Me on most Thursdays, except for this week. We'll probably be doing it on Wednesday. Uh, Check your local listings, as I say. Head over to our calendar and find out there. For Mr. Joseph Falby, John Bubb, my name is Chase News. Thanks for watching us here at Geek Gamer Weekly. Until we all talk again, we are all silent. Hey, Joe, in honor of John Kessler, say goodnight, Gracie. Goodnight, Gracie.
Joe Montana? <laughs> I heard, I already did the first part. Somebody else has to do that. That's why part. that's why I did that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Heath Ledger? Heath Ledger. <laughs> yeah. I wish I knew how to quit you.